Okay, why don't we stand and read Luke 17, verse 11 to 19. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And they were going, and they were cleansed. But one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Please be seated. So I've taken a break today from Summer in the Psalms, or Summer in the Psalms, uh, Sermons in the Summer, as another series of his other preachers have done. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it helps when I remember my own sermon series, doesn't it? But we're taking a break from that, and uh, of course, because today's Thanksgiving. So I'll resume next week with that series and before I head on my sabbatical. But I just want to ask you a question as we are in Thanksgiving. Um, what is it you're looking forward to the most? What is it you're looking forward to, to the most this Thanksgiving? Anyone can yell it out. It doesn't matter who and when. Pardon me? Grandchildren, okay? Fellowship. Fellowship as well. Okay, perfect. Dessert. Dessert. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> okay. Well, Thanksgiving has been officially celebrated as an annual holiday in Canada since November 6, 1879. November 6, 1879. It was intended to celebrate the harvest and other blessings of the past year. But interestingly, on January 31, 1957, so about uh, 70 years later, the Governor General of Canada, Vincent Massey, issued a proclamation and he stated this, a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest which Canada has been blessed to be observed on the second Monday in October. Isn't that interesting? What stood out for me was Vincent Massey's comment, we want to give thanks to God for the bountiful harvest, and that's a nationwide remembrance. Oh, how things have changed in Canada. How far our country has gone downhill. Well, one thing is clear in Scripture, God cherishes our gratitude. Scripture is clear, God cherishes our gratitude just as much as you and I would. I mean, we all receive, love re receiving gratitude, don't we? I mean, it makes you feel really appreciated when someone takes notice of you. It, it helps when they've, they've seen the good things you, you've said or done for them or have like uh, inputted into their life and, a, a, you know, 
made an investment in them, and it builds intimacy and relationships when gratitude is extended. On the flip side, um, ingratitude can do the opposite. If people don't notice you, don't recognize your effort or sacrifice, it builds a gap in intimacy. Now what's interesting about both gratitude and ingratitude is they both can carry you a long way. They both can carry you a long way. If you receive it, you can live off that steam for a long time. If you don't receive it, you can live off that steam for a long time. And it creates bitterness instead of intimacy. Now today's passage is going to show you how important it is for us to give glory to the God. And how easy it is for us to actually miss His blessings. So let's read verse 11 together. It says, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. The first thing to point out here is that Luke tells us that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, he lived in Galilee, uh, generally speaking, and did most of his ministry there. Now, Galilee is in the far north of Israel, and Jerusalem is in the south. So, Jesus, three times a year, on the feasts and festivals appointed by God in the, in the Mosaic Law, would head from, from Galilee to Jerusalem for the feasts and festivals. That was, a, that was a command by God, and Jesus, being sinless, never missed the feasts and festivals. So three times a year he headed there. What's important about this final time, or sorry, this trip I should say, is that it was his final time to Jerusalem. He's on his way now to go to the cross. He will not be back in Galilee ever again in terms of, in, the, in sort of like the earthly state, if you will. So he's heading down there, and he's passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now again, this is in the northern part of Israel, but what's important for us is that the Samaritans, the Samaritans to the Jewish people were considered second class. Even sec less than second class, they were kind of like bottom feeders, garbage to them. This feud goes back hundreds of years before Jesus even arrived on the scene, but they were very different people from, from the Jewish people religiously, politically, and culturally. And animosity existed between the Jewish people and the uh, Samaritans for hundreds of years. Now as Luke tells us in verse 12, Jesus enters a particular village where he's met by ten leprous men. Now leprosy was a horrible disease in which if you had it, you basically like were the walking dead. You were alive in the flesh, but your future was already determined. It was just a matter of time. Now it's a horrendous illness that affects your skin, your eyes, your nose, and especially your peripheral nerves. And I found a picture of a modern day leper. So this is the kind of thing that would, that would do to your skin and whatnot. But I have a friend in Scotland named Alison, and she's a physiotherapist and worked in Bangladesh. And Alison um, told me some stories uh, a number of years ago about what it was like to work amongst lepers. And she said that the hardest thing for leprosy is that because the peripheral nerves lose sensation, when they walk and do certain jobs like manual labor, they cut themselves, and they, and they, but they don't even feel it. They don't feel it, so things get infected and whatnot, or they can just like slice limbs right off, and they won't even know. And so what happens is you become deformed in the body. And here's a, here's a recent picture of a leper with deformities in the hands. 
So again, this is the kind of life that you live as a leper. You were alive, but you were the walking dead. Now the next problem was for leprosy, it was highly contagious. So God had to put laws within Israel to deal with them. So when you received a, a positive uh, test result that you had leprosy, you were to be isolated and quarantined from the rest of society. And you'd have your own camp to live in outside of the, the mainstream uh, society. If you approached people that were not infected, uh, if they came within a certain distance from you, you were to shout out as a leper, unclean, unclean, to avoid closer contact, to avoid contaminating others. And this is why in verse 12, it says that these men stood at a distance. They stood at a distance from Jesus. They were unclean and didn't want to break, get, get, get close to him. Now at the time of Jesus, there was no cure which left those of leprosy without hope. No hope for a leper. So when they saw him, they didn't want to miss out on their opportunity. And so we pick this up in verse 13. It says, and they raised their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. How they heard that Jesus was in town, I'm not sure. Luke doesn't tell us. But they clearly had heard about him at some point, who he was, and how he could do miraculous healings. So when he was going through the area, it was really obviously important, if they looked like these pictures, to find Jesus and call out to him in a desperate plea for help. Now they recognized him as being an authority over them because they did call him master. They saw themselves as underneath him. So how did Jesus respond? We pick it up in 14. It says, and when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. The fact that Jesus said to them, go and show yourself to the priest, probably was not the answer they were looking for. Again, you potentially look like this person in this picture, and you ask for healing, you ask for mercy, and Jesus says, go, show yourself to the priest. If I was in their shoes, I'd be like, yeah, but us, I want healing, Lord. I want healing. I don't want to go show myself to the priest. I know what they're going to say. Like, it's pretty obvious what they're going to say. Go back to camp. Right? Not the answer they were probably looking for. And again, remember in that culture, what I said earlier, um, these, the priests were known as the health inspectors. They were gatekeepers to the health in the community. They would do initial examinations of you to see if you were leprous or not, and in what stage of infection you were. If you were um, cleansed of it, if, if there was some kind of miracle that took place, they would inspect you again and allow you to go back into the, into the regular society. So again, it's important because these were the men that made the determination as to whether you were healed or to be declared fit for community. So again, the, 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 the lepers must have thought that Jesus' command was odd because there was going to be nothing to show them at all. But Jesus knew what he was doing and he had a couple of reasons, I think, for doing this. Number one, to demonstrate what it was going to declare to the priests. If these men showed up, and they were completely healed, especially if these, other, if these priests in the past had declared them unhealthy, 
they would show up and there'd be a horde of them, ten, not one, but ten. And they would say, how did you get cleansed? And they would have to say, on the way here, we met uh, Jesus, proclaimed healing over us, and we went on our way. Important because Jesus often had interactions with the, with the religious uh, rulers, and it didn't go well. What an incredible way to authenticate who he said he was in the ministry that he had. And again, hopefully to put, bring the priests into faith. There's a great verse in Acts, I forget where it is, um, but it's early in Acts, and it said, uh, as the gospel was spread, even some of the priests came to faith. And so here again, this has been an important thing for these men to do. But it's also a means of testing these men's faith, these ten men. See, the question would have been for these guys, was Jesus' word trustworthy? I come for healing, he tells me to go, show myself to the priest. As a leper, I know what that means. That means that, I'm, like, that he's going to declare me healthy or not. So the only way he's going to declare me healthy is if on the way I get healed. And so when, they, when Jesus tells them to go, they have to trust Jesus at his word. We have a saying within Christianity, we walk by faith, not by sight. Right? We say it, we've probably all said it at some time, we walk by faith. Well, these men literally were walking by faith. They were literally walking by faith. They were going to respond to Jesus in obedience to his word before they knew the outcome. That's what walking by faith is, isn't it? When you don't know the outcome, but Jesus declares something within his word, and you have to trust him and walk in obedience to, to, to it, even though you don't know how it's going to turn out for you. That's the case when it comes to finances. That's the case when it comes to marriage. That's the case when it comes to parenting. That's the case when it comes to the promises forgiveness hold. These are the promises in scriptures that we don't have a guaranteed outcome in terms of what it's going to look like. But Jesus says, walk in obedience to my word. Walk by faith. So now comes the important part in the story in verse 15. Let's read this together. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. What a day of thanksgiving for this one fellow. He hadn't even made it to the priest yet. But clearly, as he was walking to the priest's uh, precinct, where he would have been in inspected for his health, healing fully took place. And you'd imagine that. Imagine having hands like this and a, and a face like that. And as you're walking, you can feel and see your body changing. I mean, this seems far-fetched in some ways, but we saw up to like, I think it was close to 10 miracles in Genesis House in the month of July. 10 miracles happened in our church. So again, you wouldn't believe it until you, until you saw someone like that. So God still is healing then, He's still healing today. But imagine this, your body's transformed. And you know that Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest, but you're so excited, so incredibly overwhelmed with gratitude that you turn around, cut your trip early to go back and find Jesus Christ to thank Him for all He's done. 
And so he, this guy falls in his face, a position of submission, giving thanks to him. Now the, the kicker in this verse is that he says he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. Again, the Jewish people don't think much of Samaritans. And by the fact that Luke points out he's a Samaritan, suggests the other nine were probably Jewish. That's a suggestion I'm saying, but they're probably Jewish. So again, to highlight that the outsiders, the outsider is the one giving thanks to God and not his own people. And, they're, and they're, this guy is just overwhelmed with joy. But again, it's a key theme in Luke's gospel that those on the outside, from cultural perspectives, are welcome in Christ's kingdom, and he will show them compassion. But then Jesus asked the healed Samaritan a question. And we pick up the question in 17. He says, he, Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus' question, of course, is rhetorical in one, in one sense. Of course he knew where they were. He was the one who sent them towards the priest. So they're, they're somewhere between him and the journey to the priest. And he knew that they were cleansed. I mean, he was the one who exercised authority to do so. So he would have known the outcome of these other nine men. They were definitely cleansed. But it's an indictment also. Not a, so the question is not only rhetorical, it's an indictment. These men didn't come back to give glory. But look at where the praise was supposed to go. He says, was no one found who returned to give glory to God? It's Thanksgiving Day on the road, or in this village, between Galilee and Samaria. It's Thanksgiving Day, and 90% of the people there will not return to give glory to God. And the crazy thing was, their destiny was completely changed. Their destiny and their future was completely changed, and they did not give glory to God on Thanksgiving Day. I thought to myself, how in the world could they do this? How can they be so blind and miss it? And then the Holy Spirit said to me, uh, how many times have you done the exact same thing? Andrew, there's so many good things in your life only because of Jesus Christ. And this is a powerful because I can take the posture of a grumbler more than one of gratitude. I can take the posture of a grumbler more than one of gratitude. And so I started writing down some things to share with you about where I'd be right now, apart from Jesus Christ. First, uh, first thing I wrote down was, I'd be divorced. I'd be divorced. I wouldn't have made it in my marriage without the Lord. Number two, I would have virtually no idea how to parent. Virtually no idea. Oh, I give glory to God for everything He's taught me through the Scriptures, and I'm still learning and got, and got things to work on. But again, I have a blueprint that I would never have had before without Jesus Christ. I would have lost my business behind the, the building here. 
I would have gone bankrupt in around 2008, 2009. But the Lord has a financial um, counsel in his word, and I grabbed onto it. I would have been in financial ruin personally, as well as my business actually. Without Jesus Christ, I would never have been healed of my emotional wounds that made me dysfunctional in relationships. It's awesome when I go home to my hometown in Fort Smith. Well, I'm not going to go there anymore because uh, my mom's moved, but every time I'd meet people, they used to remind me of what I used to be like, and then would talk about some of the changes they'd seen. Again, I was known as a, an emotional, wounded person that was difficult to be in relationship with. The Lord has healed me of those. And without the Lord, I wouldn't know many of you. In fact, all of you. And you have changed my life for the better as well. And I can keep going and going and going. God cherishes gratitude. Vincent Messi had it right. We need to give him the glory that he's due. I actually believe we probably hurt him when we take the gifts that he gives us for granted and forget to say a simple thank you. I'll leave you with one verse to end the sermon. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. This is what Paul says. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. I love this in the Christian community, right? Because we often say, well, I'm wondering what God's will is. What's God's will for my life? What's God? And what we mean is, who should I date? Who should I marry? What job should I get? You know, should I make this investment? Should I go on this holiday? Should I buy this car? <laughs> and again, I'm not saying God doesn't help us in those things or care about those things in our lives. But clearly, what Paul says is this. You want to know what God's will is for your life? You give thanks in all circumstances. Even the stuff that's no good, even the stuff that's painful, the, the suffering, we give thanks in all circumstances. You see, God's will is not something, or for Thanksgiving, is not something we're to do just once a year on Thanksgiving Day. We're not to be a one and done as follower of Jesus. It's to be an identifying mark of a follower of Jesus. We talked about tattoos, I think, uh, three weeks ago. Tattoos, you want to, what Jesus is saying here through Paul's words is like, you want a tattoo? Your tattoo, your mark, should be one that you give thanks to God for the gifts he's given us. So, I want to do something a little bit different. We're going to have no discussion this morning. No discussion. What we're going to do is we're going to go into a time of prayer. A time of prayer, and we're going to get into groups. And we can, uh, maybe this group looks pretty big, maybe they can, some of you can spread over into the middle here. you got a nice group here. We're just going to spend about 10-15 minutes in prayer, giving thanks to God for all our goodness, His goodness. Maybe you want to thank Him for a person He brought into your life that changed you. Maybe it's for counsel in His Word that left, that without Him, you'd have been lost. Maybe it's for emotional or physical healing you've received recently. Maybe it's for the bounty of food you're going to have this afternoon or tomorrow. The, the list is endless. And so why don't we do that now? Let's be the one and not the nine.